This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. Today's episode brings you machine learning and AI. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss the extremely fast-growing topic of machine learning and artificial intelligence in the federal government. With me on today's show are Riley Repko, Senior Advisor to the Air Force, Secretary and Chief of Staff with the U.S. Air Force, Pamela Isom, Deputy Chief Information Officer, Department of Energy, and the Chief Data Officer, John Sprague, Acting Associate CIO, Transformation and Data Division with NASA. Tim Persons, Chief Scientist of GAO and Managing Director of Science, Technology, Assessments, and Analytics Team. Scott Buckholz, Chief Technology Officer with Deloitte, Public Sector Service Practice. Kirk Everson, Principal in Government and Intelligent Automation Leader, KPMG, and Nick Saki, Federal CTO, Pure Storage, and last, Anthony Robbins, Vice President of NVIDIA. Well, the administration issued an executive order on February 11th uh, titled Maintaining uh, American Leadership in AI, and i got to tell you, it's probably one of the most comprehensive executive orders I've seen written, and certainly in my career and tenure. And uh, right behind that, DOD issued an AI strategy, and they're outlining policies and standards and training and grant guidance and uh, how to make this data available uh, to the the community and also how to protect it, right? And uh, we have this onslaught now, this tectonic tectonic shift in technology for computing, uh, the ability to store at high rates at a fraction of the cost, the ability to program, and, and, and what do we get? Things like uh, what we just saw in the news recently, the black hole, right? Along with many other things. So a lot to talk about today. We're going to start with you, Riley, and just uh, give us a little bit of a state of state as to what's going on at U.S. Air Force in regards to machine learning and artificial intelligence. Well, thank you, Luke. Uh, we've got several initiatives. I'm going to highlight just a few of them for you. As you mentioned strategy, we have a Air Force AI strategy uh, very close to getting blessed. Right now, I think we're in version 21. Uh, the reason it's wow. taken time is because we're collaborating with our, with our labs and making sure that we're all in sync, uh, and that does take time. So that includes both a, a framework to principally guide our, our future years, as well as planning and maneuver thoughtfully you know, from our execution year on out. Next, we have, a, uh, I think, a very interesting initiative called Computer Language Initiative where the Air Force is going to start treating computer languages very similar as equivalents to uh, human foreign languages throughout the Air Force. Uh, you know, it's time for us to start betting on our talent. And this is also a great opportunity for us to start tracking these airmen and actually start to incentivize them because we have a lot of very capable airmen that understand the software. Uh, you may have also read that we've just recently down-selected uh, an accelerator, and that happens to be with MIT not only because of the location that it brings, but also this is an agreement uh, for us to work the process and the integration uh, through a mission-centric perspective. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned alignment, the Air Force is all about aligning our capabilities with our national defense strategy, and that's part of the thought process. And finally, we have the uh, national mission initiatives, in which we align our Air Force strategy with the Joint AI Center under Lieutenant General Shanahan. Uh, one of the key NMIs that we're working 
is, is uh, related to humanitarian aid. So that gives you kind of a quick overview as far as where the Air Force is and focused. I failed to mention in the opening that, of course, you know, uh, AI being one of the top five priorities stated by the CIO of uh, DOD, uh, Dana. So you guys are off and running. Pam, how about over at Energy? Uh, what's the state of the state of AI and ML over there? And as a chief data officer, I know you have a lot of data over there. We have a significant amount of data that we have to process. So thanks, Luke, for uh, the opportunity to talk with you today. Um, the Department of Energy, you know, we're responsible for maintaining the critical infrastructure, right? So we're applying artificial intelligence and machine le learning to help ensure that our infrastructure is secure. Uh, we're advancing it. We're uh, looking at applying uh, and augmenting the infrastructure power with solar. So we're looking at keeping that grid up and running, uh, taking advantage of solar and uh, keeping it robust and solid. Um, we have a lot going on. You know we have the two most powerful supercomputers uh, in the world, so we're uh, taking advantage of those supercomputers and integrating uh, artificial intelligence and HPC to solve some of the most complex problems around the world. So we have initiatives going on to understand what some of those problems are. Um, in the, we're teaming with our partners from a health perspective and looking at addressing uh, traumatic brain injury as an example of something unique that we're doing. Uh, we're working with the Veterans Administration and other partners to look at how we can uh, help uh, tackle uh, treatments for cancer and uh, just we're looking for anomalies, right? Artificial intelligence and uh, strong predictive analytics and machine learning is all about understanding where those anomalies are and looking at what we can do to solve those problems. So we have a lot going on. Um, this is just, I'm just you naming a few. You certainly do, and I'm glad to see that, that cross-pollination going on across the various areas. Who would have thought that you know, involved with you know, the curing of cancer and some of these other things? And certainly happy to hear about the smart grid and uh, all these IOTs that are out there metering and bringing this data in and uh, you know, making us a whole lot safer. Kirk, how about over at KPMG? Uh, tell us about what's, what, what do you see out there as far as across that community? You have a, perspective that's uh, a little bit different than a lot because you, you see a lot of different agencies and both private and public sector. Yeah, thanks. I, I, th I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, being a global firm, we have the opportunity to to observe and, and, and assist clients uh, in, in every single industry, uh, you know, whether it be obviously government and public sector uh, or healthcare and life sciences, uh, the products, telecom. So we're actually able to take those those lessons learned from other industries and apply them to government in a way that makes sense for government. And so we're, we're helping uh, right now government agencies with things like robotics process automation. I think we've all seen the OMB memorandum on RPA. That's obviously taking hold, uh, given the president's management agenda to reduce that, uh, that level of low value work. We're also helping clients apply machine learning to things like understanding if a, a certain document has a signature on it. You know, I think we can all agree that the government deals with lots of documents. And so what a, why not apply machine learning and, and things like natural language processing to to help with, with some of those use cases to reduce that burden on the workforce. Uh, using things like uh, you know, uh, machine learning to, to, to assist with, with other things that are around predictive analytics. Uh, we're making a lot of investments in our, our ignition centers uh, with, our, with our cognitive automation labs to be able to bring these use cases that are repeatable across various sectors, as I've mentioned. So we're really excited about assisting uh, our, our agencies to, to be more efficient, more effective. But, but as Pam mentioned, I mean, the, the influx of data and how to, how to manage that data is, is becoming extremely critical. So coupling data and analytics with these technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, 
uh, and natural language processing is, is really what we're focusing on right now. Just uh, the ability to store it, you know, secure it, and, and certainly process it at, at high speeds. John, how about over at NASA, right? You guys uh, just dropped a, uh, uh, an element on Mars. You're getting ready to go to the moon. Uh, what's next? It's a lot going on. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me here. So NASA's been doing AI for decades. Uh, only recently has that, as you mentioned, the computational power, the storage cost being lower, data analytics and algorithms progress to the point where the, the return on investment is much better now. Um, and um, you don't have to be a data scientist to be able to uh, use the new tools that are out there. Uh, so that's really making it a lot better for everybody. Uh, don't get me wrong, I have uh, two, a couple of data scientists that work for me, and uh, we're, we're getting ready to hire uh, another one right now, uh, matter of fact, next week. Um, so last year, we also set up an AI community, artificial intelligence community of interest at NASA, uh, run by one of my guys, uh, sits down at Johnson Space Center. And I'll tell you, um, they, they get together monthly, and they help each other out and give a lot of, uh, you know, what works out there, who needs some software, who has extra licenses and things like that, sharing best practices. And I had a lot of specific examples, but I, I did want to mention just one, the Mars 2020 rover you, you know, you, that you had alluded to a second ago. Uh, it's launching in July next year, next summer, and it'll have a significant discretion in what it, what it uh, is able to do. Uh, it has AI in three areas, uh, autonomous driving. And if you remember the rover that got stuck in the sand, well, you know, it's, a long time ago, it, it's, it's spinning its wheels, and, and we don't hear about it for, you know, a little while, seven or eight minutes. And um, so this one will have autonomous. If it figures something's going wrong, it can back itself out. Um, number two, exploration for gathering increased science. It can, um, you know, maneuver around depending on what it sees, and it has its own scheduling system. So it doesn't need to be told, hey, you know, you, you diverted here, but now we're going to have to cut the other one short. It, it can figure all that out on its own. So it's amazing. Uh, what it can do. Uh, pretty impressive and fantastic. And a different version of spinning your wheels, right? Yeah. I like that version. <laughs> a whole lot better. And uh, talk about computing, Anthony. Uh, how about uh, over there at NVIDIA? You guys are sort of the, one of the godfathers of computing. So uh, tell us what you're seeing out there across the community. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. So we, we've just found ourselves with our GPUs and our CUDA and SDKs and frameworks kind of in the middle of the world's progress relative to AI. And, and in part, it was, is related to kind of what, what uh, John said, that the capabilities of GPUs have enabled us to process vast amounts of data. And, and you know, the Department of Defense, I think, is on record of doing work around AI back to like 1957, of course, NASA's been. So, so the government's been working on AI for a long time. And one of the challenges to the progress has been the cost of infrastructure to process the vast amounts of data. And this, the second piece has always been the, da the data. So the government has access to data, not all of it is in great and usable shape, label data and the like. So today we're making progress on label data, we're making progress on cost of infrastructure, and the result is more people get access to it. And the opportunities are, are just, are absolutely wonderful for the, the federal government. In the areas of waste, fraud and abuse, we spend $147 billion a year uh, of taxpayer dollars in the area of waste, fraud and abuse. I think it was 27 billion alone at the IRS in 2017. And AI can play a huge role in helping analysts understand fraud patterns. We do that for credit card companies today. We can do that for the government um, tomorrow. In the case of cybersecurity, in the latest uh, call out in the president's um, request next year, I think they, they had $17.4 billion 
tied to cybersecurity. There's no way that problem gets solved without AI being a part of that. General Nakasone at U.S. Cyber Command, uh, Vice Admiral Nancy Norton has suggested kind of that's the case, and I think there'll be an, an NMI around cyber through the Jake. Um, and then, you know, it was mentioned already on this, this panel, predictive and preventative maintenance. It's actually uh, not the most exciting field, but it's actually the number one field with respect to cost of the Department of Defense, and high-performance data analytics and AI will help bring down the overall cost of platforms and, and allow us to afford the next generation yeah, Department I mean, of Defense. Yeah, the low-hanging fruit that this technology can solve is yeah. just in the billions, right? It's not yes. only the fraud, it's just improper payments. It's in the billions, yeah. right? Just mistakes that yeah. are being made. Scott, uh, you're in a uh, unique uh, position there as a chief technology officer to really uh, look at this from a broad perspective as well. So tell us, what are you seeing out there in regards to what's happening in the private sector, what's happening, and how's that transfer over into what you're seeing in the public sector? Sure, thanks, Luke. We actually do an annual report on technology trends. So our 2019 report, one of the eight trends was actually uh, AI-fueled organizations, basically how we're increasingly seeing organizations put AI and machine learning into everything that they do, um, products offering services, internal processes, improvements, and everything else. In terms of what we do both with commercial organizations and with governments around the world, ranges from things like, you know, as simple as correspondence management. Lots of organizations get an influx of information on paper and other formats and trying to classify those things and group like things together so that people can deal with the volume of requests more efficiently and effectively. So using natural language processing, whether it's some of the things some of my other colleagues have talked about around predictive analytics, basically looking at um, what we've done in the past and what decisions we've made and being able to emulate the discernment of experts as they look at inflows of information and automating decisions, fraud, waste, and abuse detection, image detection, so looking through video feeds and trying to find interesting patterns and events. There are lots of different things that are going on across industries, and what we're actually seeing is the folks who are pulling the furthest ahead and who are being the most successful are the ones who are increasingly focusing on doubling down and um, doing it again and again and again. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. It's not only the uh, reduction of manpower, right? It's the increase in the accuracy and just the capability to, to you know, like video uh, capability, analytics, et cetera, something I know the law enforcement community very interested in. It's just phenomenal, the, mm -hmm. the gains there. Uh, Tim, how about over at GAO as the uh, chief scientist? I know you uh, you you must have a, a broad perspective of what's happening in regards to this technology and how it's being introduced into the public sector, into the public square, if you will. Right. So thanks, Luke. And you've heard some good examples from uh, the panelists here. Uh, GAO does have that pan-federal remit to look across agencies, and we have a unique position as such uh, to be able to have access into data that no one else has in that broad sense. So it's an exciting time for us. Um, speaking in terms of close to home of what GAO has been doing, uh, in, in my role leading our new science tech assessment and analytics team is uh, erecting a framework that really starts with data. So you've heard of the people process technology uh, trio, but I'm putting data at the front of that to say we start with a data centric model uh, because we have these tremendous assets as an agency. And uh, then we build from that into a people. We're hiring, of course, as part of our new team and our build and growth 
uh, in support of the Congress, uh, hiring the right kind of folks, the quants, the, the interdisciplinary, creative, problem-solving types to be able to do that. Uh, and then from a process perspective, we want to start with the problem. We want to create an uh, environment that uh, invites uh, experimentation. Uh, it's knowledge building through, uh, at times, things that don't work. That's really how research operates. You have high rates of failure initially, but they are, uh, as long as they're educational, that's what you want. And so having that problem centricity and then a creative environment uh, set up to do that is, is there. And then, uh, so that's our process on that. And then lastly, the technology is there, but it comes in at the end, and it's really, again, based upon what problem we're trying to solve, what questions we're trying to ask with AI. And I think it's an exciting time doing those basic things first, and then building and starting sort of with baby steps, and then moving forward is, is the approach we're taking at GAO. You approach that versus right. start with the technology and then, you know, sort of right. figure out how to use it. Uh, speaking of technology, Nick, how about a pure storage? I know you guys see a uh, see this in a broad perspective across your community. What are you seeing out there? This is very true. So, you know, pure storage. Our mission is to empower innovators to create a better world with data. So, what we do is, you know, make the engines to make the future possible in conjunction with our partners, Nvidia, um, creating a packaged hardware and software solution to enable rapid deployment and iteration of artificial intelligence algorithms and machine learning algorithms from the government perspective, um, this is incredibly important because as we all know, it, in, our, in our processes, it takes us a long time to figure out what it is we need in order to do what we aspire to do. So it's the requirements, development, and determination, and then the procurement process. Um, and AI and machine learning require significantly different infrastructure, such as NVIDIA's GPUs or memory-based flash-based storage systems such as we make than the traditional infrastructure that we may have used even to collect that data. So it's a new, um, much more parallelized, much higher performance, much larger scale computing infrastructure. And the software tools for doing this are very different than the classic database and data analytic tools that we had in the past. So what Pure Storage has, has done, particularly in conjunction with NVIDIA, is, is create this artificial intelligence ready infrastructure uh, to enable our customers in government and in the commercial sector to literally take an engine that they can start doing their processing and development and training of their AI and machine learning algorithms with. And it's, it's not just the hardware and the software, but also, well, the software tools, the tool chains, the programming frameworks, et cetera, that are all based off of uh, the most advanced capabilities that are currently being used in academia and in the commercial space. I love so, the fact that you have a, yeah. you know, sort of this fully engineered appliance that's available exactly. to, uh, to bring these capabilities together. Um, well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. In today's world of constant change, it's more important than ever to have the agility to adapt and the courage to innovate. At Deloitte, their people bring fresh perspective from inside and outside government to help you anticipate disruption, reimagine the possible, and fulfill your mission promise. Whether you are at the crossroads of AI and workforce transformation, cyber and IT modernization, or digital and citizen experience, they bring actionable insights and drive bold and lasting results. People, ideas, technology, and outcomes, all designed for impact. Look again, Deloitte.com slash U.S. slash government. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business and mission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. 
To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash U.S. backslash gov automation. Pure Storage is changing the government's IT experience. Pure helps customers fully leverage their data to meet their mission, all while reducing IT costs and complexity. And with Airy, Pure's AI-ready solution, powered by FlashBlade Storage and NVIDIA DGX servers, agencies get a simple, fast, future-proof and expandable infrastructure capable of meeting AI demands at any scale and without downtime. To learn more, visit purestorage.com AI. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Riley Repko with U.S. Air Force, Pamela Isom with Department of Energy, John Sprague with NASA, Tim Person uh, is with GAO, Scott Buckholz with Deloitte, Kirk Everson with KPMG, Nick Saki with Pure Storage, and Anthony Robbins with NVIDIA. We were talking about... Uh, the state of the states, we're going to talk about specific programs. Pam, let's ask you about a specific program that you're working on that you'd like to share with the community. I would like to point out that uh, one of the things that we've done is we have stood up a um, office uh, that's dedicated to uh, artificial intelligence. And um, that is very interesting because that office is working concurrently with me as a chief data officer. And we are, uh, they are also working with the different national labs. Um, and there's just a significant amount of work underway in which we are looking for uh, AI opportunities. But we are looking at things from a business perspective. What are the business needs? What are the challenges? What are the goals of the agency and the department? What's our mission? And then based on that, we are looking at, does it make sense to apply AI and ML? And then we have the labs working with us to experiment and try things out, research, develop the solutions. And that's why I mentioned earlier about some of the initiatives that we're focused on, like the healthcare initiatives, uh, modernizing the grid. But I think what's, what's the best of this is that we have literally stood up this office and we are working in collaboration with the office of the chief data officer. And that's what we need, right? Because it all rests on good infrastructure and data is essential to that. Good infrastructure and data and being able to tag and categorize that properly so that you can use it correctly. Scott, how about over at Deloitte? Give us a specific example. We're working with a number of agencies on specific projects. Some of the more interesting ones are actually helping agencies and departments stand up their own AI or machine learning organizations, a little bit like Pam was talking about, so that the agencies themselves and the departments actually have the capabilities to be able to do the work themselves going forward into the future. Um, I'd point out we interviewed Google for our trends report, and if you look back 10 years, they didn't look like they did today. They actually went on an evolution and a journey to build the capabilities they have today, which most people don't recognize and realize. Um, because we look at today and think we could never get there from here, and the answer is perhaps, but probably not. You probably could get there. Yeah, some iteration. Uh, John, how about I almost transferred you over to GAO, but we're going <laughs> to keep you at NASA. Uh, tell us, uh, give us a specific example there at, uh, at NASA. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm still finding areas at NASA that are using AI. It's, you know, they're coming out of the woodwork. Um, the three big areas that we're using AI is in exploration, mission support, and science. I'll just use one example, and it's a really old example, Hubble. Well, you know Hubble wasn't set up with AI, right? Everybody would think that right off the bat. But 
the uh, scheduling of where the Hubble's going to point and shoot used to take a whole team of people and a lot of scheduling, uh, a lot of working it out with all the different science organizations around the world, right, universities. But now that's controlled by AI, and that's here down on her, here on Earth, and it tells it where to go next. So, you know, it's, it's taken a, a team of people that would have been just working on scheduling and letting them do other better science somewhere else. Interesting how you're taking sort of a... A Gen 1, sorry, certainly advanced technology and making it better now with, uh, exactly. with some new capability. That's interesting. Anthony, how about, uh, give us an example of, of somewhere across the federal sector where you're seeing some really, really advanced stuff going on. Well, I think there's, I'll start first with the commercial space. So in the commercial space, you have the business of autonomous systems that's going to completely transform the transportation industry. Yeah. yeah, right. And the transportation industry is it's a ten trillion dollar uh, business, and and so as a result, there's tons of money being poured into autonomous systems. And you've heard John, you, you've heard a bunch of people on the panel today just talk about autonomous systems. That autonomy work is happening across the federal government, whether it's the Department of Defense with the Navy, whether it's with the Army, and like a lot of the robotics work that's underway. And of course, it can happen in civilian agencies, the Department of Transportation, FAA, and others. So there's a lot of opportunities to leverage the work that companies like NVIDIA and many others are doing relative to autonomous systems. I like to kind of make this comment for, for context. You know, for any of us who have kids, you know, maybe over the age of, of five and less than 10, you know, they'll probably never have a driver's license, right? And, so, and, if, you, and if you think about where, where you know, this, the, the technology is far enough along that what we're actually talking about here is leading change and transformation. Like you can get yourself to, the, the technology is far enough along. So what we're trying to do is try to help uh, communicate what are some of the commercial best practices and then try to apply them to the federal marketplace to help the government move as fast as and they I could. heard that comment the other day about, you know, the driver's license, and I just thought, ah, no way. And then you start, you know, sort of walking that forward, and you realize, wow, we're, we're right around the corner from that. It's incredible. Uh, Tim, how about over at GAO? Can you give us a specific example there of... Uh, um, you know, a, uh, uh, a program that you're working on? Sure. So uh, in the spirit of starting small, I mean, we're building on something that GAO does uh, routinely and quite well, and it's very scientific, is actually uh, taking surveys. And so uh, we're a medium-sized agency. We're uh, over 3,000 FTE, but we're not large by, in comparison to some of our other federal peers. Uh, but the Control General likes to uh, get a sense of how the staff are thinking on annually, at least, on uh, what their thoughts are on various issues and uh, to maintain a, uh, a, we have a high ranking in terms of best places to work. So uh, a lot of this is, is collecting all of that input from uh, a variety of staff across our enterprise and then sense making of it so that it gives him uh, the ability to, to, to know what uh, his staff are thinking in an aggregated form. So that's just a simple natural language processing looking across a lot of uh, textual data uh, that's been input in a survey process, again, to get a sense for what are the key words, what are the key things that have emerged as patterns or things that might be on uh, the staff's mind. And I'm sure doing that in a, almost a real-time type fashion, I would imagine, which is uh, fascinating. Right, much less manual process, that's exactly. right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, Kirk, how about over at KPMG? Can you give us an example there? Sure, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that we do, and I wanted to highlight a, a comment that Pam made, you know, we're really trying to help agencies essentially solve business or mission outcome-driven um, uh, problems. You know, and I think a lot of folks hear about these technologies, they want to kind of experiment, they want to try them out, but I think it's extremely important 
that before you invest in these types of uh, proofs of concept or pilots that you're really trying to solve that business outcome or that mission outcome. So we're helping a lot of agencies go through that thought process and thinking about the data that's necessary, the infrastructure that's necessary to support that, as well as the workforce impact. So really helping agencies think through that. Uh, one specific example, this is for a, uh, a city government in, in, in this area. You know, Historically, they were sending out uh, teams of, of, of assessors to essentially count, uh, count stoplights. And, and so what we count did, stoplights. stoplights part of their inventory and asset management process. And now so I know what those guys are doing. that's it, <laughs> they folks with the orange vest, right? Yeah. So uh, what, we, what we decided to do is to help them uh, do it more efficient, more effectively without creating this army of folks out in the field. And so we essentially leveraged Google Maps and, and used computer vision and machine learning algorithms to essentially get to a better accuracy rate for the number of stoplights in, in the area. So it would be able to identify, well, that's a garbage can, that's not a stoplight. This is a stoplight, that's, not, that's a stop sign and actually come up with a better, more accurate uh, assessment of, uh, of, the, of the inventory just using existing open source uh, opportunities. Right. So and I know that a lot of those algorithms, as they get better and better and the compute gets better and better, you know, they're right. able to be much more accurate with that capability, especially on the video analytics. Um, Riley, how about at U.S. Air Force? I'm sure you've got a lot of different uh, uh, um, programs and a lot of different uh, examples. Give us one that uh, you, you want to focus in on. Yeah, of course, Luke, the one example is the work that we're doing with Project Maven. You know, there's plenty of other examples within yeah. our lab system mm -hmm. and in the field, but we, uh, we want it to be broader, easier, more accessible, and less, you know, hobby-like as far as projects that are sprinkled throughout. So we want to more or less democratize the AI, the AI mindset so that it's baked into everything that we do. You know, we're appropriate, of course. Um, our secretary, Dr. Wilson, likes to share the point that we like to take on a, a vanguard mindset, you know, where we use authorities that are given to us to prototype, to experiment, and also to rapidly innovate, and to make decisions along the way on how we deploy those technologies. So that's kind of a flavor for where we stand. Yeah, um, uh, uh, different kind of dynamic there, right, in regards to the use of that type of technology. Uh, Nick, how about down at Pure Storage? Uh, can you give us an example of a, uh, a program, something you guys have been working on that uh, um, you'd like to share with the community? Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, we've talked about a lot of really exciting use cases, and we're proud to be involved with some of these programs uh, with the agencies represented on this panel today. Uh, we haven't talked actually very much about uh, life sciences and healthcare, which is uh, right. an area of particular uh, uh, poignancy for me when we start talking about genomics and genetic research, um, cancer and cancer pathology and things of that nature, and both commercially and in government, and we're working with the National Cancer Institute in their genomics and cancer pathology uh, research areas, as well as commercial customers like uh, Page AI, who's doing an analysis of cancer pathology across 135 million slides. Um, the Broad Institute, the Pasteur Institute, MD Anderson uh, Cancer Center in Houston. AIs have the ability to do iterative and inferential analysis at a speed and scale that, that you simply cannot. And the, the wonderful thing about the advancement of technology, of course, is we're now essentially able to put a supercomputer's worth of capability into a space that could fit under this desk. So NVIDIA's DGX1 and DGX2 servers are effectively petaflop supercomputers that fit in four to eight rack units. Um, in AI, more data is better. The benefit to being the federal government is we've been collecting data for as long as there have been digital systems. And to Tony's point, 
it's not all the cleanest, but another thing that artificial intelligence platforms can do for us is actually analyze that data for right. us. Start actually cleaning it up. Right. right. Um, so the more data your models can train against across all of these areas, systems management, logistics, supply chain, uh, economic analysis, uh, healthcare, all these complex systems, the more efficient and effective and accurate they become. But serving that data and processing that data is a huge challenge, and that's you know, the benefit to the modern time is the technologies that we need to do this and that we've known we needed to do this are actually becoming um, ubiquitous. I wouldn't say commodity, but they're certainly uh, available and, uh, and accessible. And it's fantastic that, you know, the, to get the, 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 the top-notch use out of this technology uh, and, and get, you know, superior AI, you've got to have clean data. Now you're using AI to actually clean the data, right. uh, which is uh, kind of interesting. I, I always like to talk about lessons learned, and I know we have a lot of lessons learned. I'd like to get one from each of you. John, let's start with you at NASA as you're sort of you know, on this journey. What's a lesson learned that you can share with the community, something they ought to think about as you know, other agencies start to move into this technology and this uh, capability? Thank you. Um, so it would be get started. I mean, not, not everybody's doing it. Not everybody's looking into it, as you were mentioning, that you know, just getting into the med medical fields and things like that. A lot's been already done, but there's a lot more to be done. Uh, dive in. Make sure you watch out for biases being built into the uh, system. It, could be in the, in the data that you're collecting. I only want this kind of data. Well, you're only going to get that kind of an answer back, right? Um, and that could skew the results uh, and cause you to go down a path that you, you, you didn't think you'd be going down and, and it'd be wrong, the wrong data. Yeah, I know that's, uh, that's a, a delicate subject, right? And, and I think that's an emerging topic where everyone's trying to think that through. Scott, how about Deloitte? A lesson learned that you see uh, something you'd like to, uh, plus or minus there, you know? Yeah, well, Actually, you know, when we were doing our research for AI Fueled, what we learned was, yes, people need to get their data in order. Yes, there are workforce challenges. The more interesting insight for me was actually that most organizations realized they either had to train their mission or business leaders in what the art of the possible was with the technology. Because to the point that others have made, it's really about solving business problems. If the mission leaders don't understand what is the nature of problems that can be solved, it, they can't be good consumers of the technology. And so counterintuitively, we've actually found that having to do technology training for business and mission leaders has actually been one of the key factors in success. Interesting. Pam, how about at uh, Energy? Lessons learned there. I think our focus is on uh, generating the right training sets. As someone, as uh, they mentioned down on the, the panel has mentioned, there is the opportunity for the data sets to become biased. So we are looking at um, really generating the right training sets uh, and being able to trace back the decisions that have been made by uh, AI and ML, trace those decisions back to um, what the real issue is and understand how those decisions were derived. Because we are using AI to uh, address uh, health-related matters and critical decisions, we need, to, we need to trust the outcomes, but we also need to be able to verify and trace it back to uh, where the, the solution originated. Right? We need that traceability. And I think it's so easy to just trust what comes out of it, and that's what we want you to do. But we also, in order to advance and grow and mature in the AI space, we have to be able to trace those outcomes. It's interesting. It's almost like a, uh, you know, it's a, a good point. It's sort of audit capability, right? Accountability, yeah. if you will, there. 
Uh, Anthony, uh, give us an example of uh, lessons learned that you're seeing out there. Um, yeah, I, I would say that across the federal government, it's just when people get started, they learn a lot, and they learn a lot quickly. They're also learning, I believe, that it's not as complicated as perhaps what they thought. Um, we're, you know, we're blessed in the federal government with being the largest producer and consumer of data, you know, second perhaps only to the cloud service providers. So we have, in the federal government, we have massive amounts of data. We have some brilliant people across the federal government. And yes, it's a very complex uh, government. It's very complex business. The business of government is very complex. But people, th this thing is not a matter of if it's going to happen. You know, AI is underway. You know, companies and countries around the world are making amazing progress. In fact, it could be said and proved that we'll make, we'll make more progress today than we have made in the previous 50 years combined, right? And so the technology is moving really fast. Its application is really broad. And so it's not a matter of if, you know, it's a matter of when. And therefore, you know, as people have said, it's let, let's, let's get started. So pick a good use case, get started, and, and learn from how we get started. Figure out what the infrastructure needs to look like what condition the data needs to be, who, who are the people that are either trained or need to be trained, and let's get going. Let's get going. Second time we heard that, Tim, about that GAO, lessons learned that you've uh, right. I think the big encountered. One, yeah. I think the big one for us, but I, I could sort of wrap around a number of these comments, uh, really is this that, that saying, but it's nonetheless true, about uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so the cultural issues, I think, are, are significant in this technology. Um, I think it's a story of an, uh, an over-under story. Let me start with the under. The underestimating is in a lot of the data that we already have. As has been mentioned, the federal government has tremendous data assets, likely have underestimated it or often had maybe viewed it through a, a legacy CIO lens, which said this is a burden, like I have to do. And that's true. I, I mean, no, uh, nothing against the CIOs. They have to secure, they have to do their job. But now it's also sort of the data-centric type mindset to layer on to say this is a major thing. On the overestimating side, what you don't want to do is overpromise and underdeliver. So I think starting small is important so that you fail fast but in a useful way, solve smaller problems before you go to the very large systematic things that uh, the algorithms of your maturity uh, are likely not going to go uh, help you succeed right up front. So uh, you build on that. The is so low now, right? You can right. start small and learn very That's quickly. Right. Uh, we're going to take another short break, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Pure storage is changing the government's IT experience. Pure helps customers fully leverage their data to meet their mission, all while reducing IT costs and complexity. And with Airy, Pure's AI-ready solution, powered by FlashBlade storage and NVIDIA DGX servers, Agencies get a simple, fast, future-proof and expandable infrastructure capable of meeting AI demands at any scale and without downtime. To learn more, visit purestorage.com AI. In today's world of constant change, it's more important than ever to have the agility to adapt and the courage to innovate. At Deloitte, their people bring fresh perspective from inside and outside government to help you anticipate disruption, reimagine the possible, and fulfill your mission promise. Whether you are at the crossroads of AI and workforce transformation, cyber and IT modernization, or digital and citizen experience, they bring actionable insights and drive bold and lasting results. People, ideas, technology, and outcomes, all designed for impact. Look again, Deloitte.com slash U.S. slash government. 
From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business and mission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash U.S. backslash gov automation. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Riley Repko with the Air Force, Pamela Isom with Energy, John Sprague with NASA, <clears throat> Timothy Persons with GAO, Scott Buckholz with Deloitte, Kirk Everson with KPMG, Nick Saki with Pure Storage, and Anthony Robbins with NVIDIA. We were talking about lessons learned when we went into the break, and then I was going to throw it over to you, Nick. Tell us about some lessons learned that you're seeing out there, pluses or minuses. So I think that there are, you know, broadly there are some key things that we've noticed over time. So in AI, more data is better. Uh, it requires literally exponentially larger amounts of data to get an artificial intelligence algorithm to learn just a little bit more. Surprisingly, that's not dissimilar to human cognition. It takes us years and years and years of going through school, iteratively learning more and more complex things. So more data is better. The more models can train against, the more accurate they become. Now serving that data and processing that data is a huge challenge that we address. So innovative platforms are required uh, to work and innovate at this scale and in this realm. The last thing I think is what's been said by this panel consistently, get started. You don't learn how to ride a bike by reading about it. You learn how to ride a bike by riding it. So that's, that's probably the most important thing is you need to get cracking. Get started, that's the third time we've heard it. Riley, how about over at U.S. Air Force? A lot of lessons learned there, I'm sure. Yeah, there are, and the one I really want to focus on because I kind of came up through three decades of balancing both a private sector and a government role, and that's communication. Uh, getting all of us on the same page and speaking in the same language with our partners that are traditional and non-traditional alike is probably the most important thing we can do. And I'm very fortunate to work with some of the finest thought leaders within the Air Force, but there are days where I interface with some of the finest 18th century thinkers as well. Um, and that makes my day uh, most interesting. So there you have it. That's a very kind way of saying that. Uh, Kirk, how about over at KPMG? Um, you, you get a broad perspective there. What are some lessons learned that you're, uh, you're seeing out there in the community? Sure, I, I agree. I think it's important to get started, but I, I think it's important to also remember when you get started to, to think about, you know, this is going to scale at some point, and, and you really need to have that agency-wide or enterprise-wide digital strategy uh, that encompasses all of the aspects of not just AI and machine learning and intelligent automation, but your current infrastructure, your current tools, your systems, your data that you have on hand, and how do you integrate these new technologies and techniques with your existing infrastructure. Uh, the other point I'll make is, is really empower your workforce. The, the use cases that are, we're seeing are really coming out of the, the line managers and the folks actually doing the business on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not at the executive level, no offense to our SES community, but it really comes from uh, uh, the, the workforce that's living it day-to-day -day that has the most uh, interesting use cases. We, we run a number of of workshops at various agencies to to essentially build that demand and ingest those use cases so that we can then apply the right technology. So again, I think it's making sure you have that agency-wide digital strategy, you establish that governance, and you empower and, and enable your workforce to deliver those use cases. Fantastic. Um, 
I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to do major challenges, and I'm going to ask uh, the federal folks in particular, if we have a little bit more time, we'll keep going. Major challenge, number one challenge for you, Pamela, of Red Energy as you're embarking on this journey. I would say one of the major challenges is thinking about uh, this from a holistic perspective and an enterprise-wide perspective. So we have a lot of initiatives going on that are uh, individual and there to uh, accomplish a specific purpose. I'd like to see us think more about how we take the solutions that we come up with and apply them at an enterprise-wide scale so that we all benefit. Right, looking at this thing holistically. Mm -hmm. John, how about over at NASA? Number one uh, challenge uh, that you're uh, you're facing as you embark on your journey. Funding. Oh wait, wait, I can't <laughs> use that one. Can't use that one. Um, Cut that from the. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would say executive buy-in, and uh, you know, my time at the Air Force, my time uh, working at the FBI, Homeland Security, setting up some stuff for them. Um, executive buy-in does it, and you mentioned at the very beginning the executive order. Uh, 13859 from the president that came out back in February. Um, that helps to say, hey, this is important. And then it gets the executives out there, all of them, everywhere, to say, well, the president thinks it's important. What's going on in that area? Let's look into it. So I'm, uh, you know, that's a big one for me. Um, also, the lack of AI acceptance by employees. So, hey, wait a minute, AI's coming, it's going to take my job. Sure. And that's scaring people, um, you know, federal and contractor. Um, and if, you, if, if they're educated, then they, they, they know that that's not going to happen. You know, yes, this monotonous, mundane job that you're doing where you're just typing the same thing over and over can be replaced with something else, and now you can do more creative thinking work. Up the value chain. Well, we have about 13 minutes left. We're going to go right to the back, and if you want to weave in your challenges, you can, but we're going to just take a couple minutes. Paint a picture of the future. Nick, we're going to start with you. And uh, well, what's it look like in, in three years, I'm going to say? I'm not even going to say any longer than that. This is going so quickly. So. If you think about all of the things that people do, uh, cognitive tasks, manual tasks, and there is no area of endeavor that can't be enhanced or improved by artificial intelligence. It's going to be everywhere. Uh, so we've talked about autonomous uh, vehicle driving. We've talked about financial auditing. We've talked about systems management and monitoring. We will start seeing uh, AIs take over tasks or improve things based off of what they've learned, um, whether it's writing or modifying computer code or additive manufacturing of enhanced parts uh, that an AI has learned are traditionally defective. So we're going to start seeing a, a, a very gradual at the beginning uh, improvement in processes and, and autonomous technologies. But as we've also said before, it's like the beginning of the hockey stick. Um, you know, there's going to be a very rapid iteration into autonomous systems starting to do things to enhance our lives uh, pretty much without us realizing that they're doing it. And can't even imagine what some of those things might be. We're just coming out of the Petri dish. Tim, how about at GAO? What does it look like? in two or three years? Well, just starting with sort of the machine learning challenge we have, again, culture is a big issue. And I think uh, a lot of this is mindset. We're really, the big shift is from uh, deterministic computing to probabilistic computing. And so if you're not trained as an engineer or a professional statistician uh, or a scientist in some way and so on, then how are you going to operate and live in this new emergent vocational world? So I think there's a lot of cultural mindset to change. Uh, 
uh, I, I, like uh, Riley mentioned, like as, as you age up, you know, it almost becomes a, a challenge itself in the way you think. But the good news is we have digital natives being born and we have folks thinking more algorithmically, uh, more data centrically. When I look out to the future, uh, Gia, we did a major study last year and published on AI. We looked across all the various uh, sectors of the government. We sampled four of them. Uh, and uh, although the technology is essentially the same, again, this probabilistic probabilistic computing, it's going to express itself differently. Uh, the way to risk manage in transportation is different than the way it's going to happen in the usage in criminal justice than is going to happen in cybersecurity and so on. And so uh, I think uh, the vision for the future is a lot of the success over the next three years is really going to be more in the mundane, uh, seemingly mundane, but I think it'll be profound. If you're shaving seconds off of transactions, you could save uh, you know, hundreds of man hours and, and, and so on on doing tasks. Exactly. So yes. savings of money, everything. Scott, how about a Deloitte? Paint a picture of the future. Sure. Um, if you think in many ways, a lot of what we use AI and machine learning for is the next generation of automation. And I don't know if it'll be three years, but my aspiration is that this discussion actually becomes really boring and mundane in a few years because it's just regular routine. We're all accustomed to it, and it just happens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and to John's point, what really winds up happening is it gets people better, more interesting jobs that are more meaningful because they get to focus on the interesting problems as opposed to the boring ones. And you know, we see that, by the way, it's really interesting, whether that's across the business, whether that's within IT, there are a ton of opportunities. I mean, you know, some of the other trends we noticed this year is startups don't hire system administrators. There's an entire um, set of opportunities around internal IT processes that are subject to auto, uh, artificial intelligence and machine Absolutely learning and automation. Right off the table. It's That's amazing. right. Anthony, how about an NVIDIA? What are you guys seeing? What's in the Petri dish over there that yeah. we're going to see in a couple yeah. of years? It, it seems pretty clear by now, right, after this you know, 45 minutes on this panel. But, but uh, artificial intelligence is the most transformative technology of our lifetime. And uh, it's, it's well underway. Just today, it is affecting uh, almost every person in the world, almost every company, and inside of every country. So it's, it's this big technology transformation, this big wave that's already occurring. Um, it's going to have a tremendous impact on the federal government, as we've noted, one of the largest producers and consumers of data in the world, which is the fuel that inspires this artificial intelligence uh, enterprise. And, and it's going to affect use cases that can help you know, ensure a safer world, make the Department of Defense better, improve citizen services, and, re and significantly reduce costs. Yeah, and be done at a fraction of the cost, even as it is today, right? As that barrier of entry goes down, 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 it's amazing. John, how about at NASA? What's the future look like? We've landed on Mars, we've colonized Mars. What's next, <laughs> right? I haven't quite colonized it yet. We need, need to get boots there. Um, so th the answer is better science. Um, it's being built into everything, or at least starting to. Uh, imagine a dock in a box. Our exploration medical capabilities project is, is that project. Um, and if you're not on Earth, and maybe you're further away than the ISS, the International Space Station, you're going to want this capability. Uh, it monitors the, the astronauts' vitals. Um, it already has all the medical history in the, in the box, has all kinds of other algorithms that would be built into it that, that would know if this happens, then more than likely the astronauts experiencing this and, and make, it a, make it into a, like a doctor to help them because you're not going to have that doctor right there. Um, and it's secure. You know, you got to watch out for privacy data and all that. And in, in the future, it'll be one of the spinoffs that we do. 
you know, we, we do a lot of, uh, you know, thousands of spinoffs every year. Um, you, can, you can see those at spinoff.nasa.gov. Um, I do want to just make a quick um, reference back to Tim. You mentioned the uh, data-centric model. It's funny, we just briefed it yesterday to one of our boards because it's so important to, to make, think about the data first and then everything else is secondary. Really important, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, this is all about the data, right? And the, 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 the proper use of the data, the responsible use of the data, the accurate use of the data, right? It's all of those things that are really important. Just out of curiosity, how far is the, uh, the uh, International Space Station in regards to, to the space station and then to the moon, you know? Uh, I don't so think people have a good perspective of the, that. The perspective would be, you know, the space station is, is really close to Earth and you're, you know, if you, when they go up there, it takes them a few hours to get up there and get lined up and, and, and docked to it, right? And then the moon is days away. So it's, it's, it's pretty far. And then Mars is? Months away. Months away. So yeah. you get some perspective. And you got to be at the right time of the year, every couple of years, to be able to do that and, and make it a, a six, eight-month journey as opposed to if you're further away, then it's, it, you know, it could be longer yeah, than a year. Yeah, very fancy algorithms to make sure you don't get off, uh, off track and end up in one of those black holes. Uh, Kirk, how about at KPMG? Sort of paint a picture of what, what does the future look like? Well, I think it's important to, to underscore how humans will interact with machines. That, that human and machine partnership that needs to occur not only in the workforce, but in our everyday life. You know, I've, I've seen my kids do it, and I'm sure others have. That the, the idea that Tim mentioned of digital natives, they'll go up to the TV and start trying to swipe the TV. Or, or they'll, they'll go you know, to a, a device that's sitting there and, and talk to it, you know, because that's what they're used to. That's the interface that they, they've become accustomed to. And you know, I was used to press and play on my Walkman back in the day. So I think that evolution of, of human-to-machine interface is going, be, is going to become ubiquitous to where it's really not uh, a, a function of the technology. It's really a function of what you're trying to accomplish. So that technology becomes almost invisible, uh, and you actually can get your tasks done quickly, more effectively, without having to worry about, you know, well, that app didn't work, it crashed, or it's kind of clunky here and there. It just, it just happens. Happens and sort of under the covers in a smooth way. You don't even know it's there. Right. Pam, how about at Energy? What, what does it look like? You guys have the two uh, the our, largest, governing fastest, class. biggest, and most boldest uh, computing capabilities out there. You know, what does the future look like? So we'll have more. What's under the hood there at the Energy these yeah. days? We'll yeah. have more. So there will be more. I think the 2021, we're talking about the, uh, the next uh, high-powered supercomputer. Right, so that's the next one. It's it's due in 2021. It's called Aurora. Um, the focus will be to support the things that we've been talking about on this platform today, but to an even greater degree. So uh, that's on the horizon and the near-term horizon. Um, I can see uh, the energy department uh, navigating AI as the norm. We are using artificial intelligence, as we said, to support smarter buildings efforts even more um, and taking advantage of the energy efficiencies. The, the horsepower behind it is right there at our fingertips because we have the national labs and this capability already there. I can see us using AI to, um, where you are using AI to come up with the algorithms and derive the data sets for us. So rather than us determining what the data sets are to apply AI to solve some of these problems, we're leveraging AI to reverse it and tell us what the data sets should be so that our solutions and decisions are precise and prescriptive and hit the mark. 
amazing. So it's not only going to tell you the data set, it's going to clean up the data set, and then it's going to compute on the data set. Yep. I mean, that's amazing. Um, uh, Riley, how about at the Air Force? We didn't get to you on challenges. Maybe you can just give us uh, one moment on your, your, your top challenge, and then tell us what the future looks like. Oh, well, culture is our top challenge, mm. because the whole thing is new with new. You know, new ideas, new ways of implementation, it's all new, and we'll have to rethink you know, how we're doing things and how we're going and how we're going to organize ourselves right. in order to deliver. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a critical one. Now, with regard to, you know, where we see ourselves in the future, you know, I really appreciated one uh, an analogy shared by one of our young captains, Captain Mike Kanan. Uh, he says, we're going to talk about AI the same way we talk about horsepower. Again, the emphasis is on speed and complexity, optimization. You know, the argument, you know, in the industrial age was all about, you know, you, you can't be faster, more accurate, and cheaper all at the same time, you know. Right. Needed, you needed to make trade-offs. More horses and buggies. Right. right. Well, yeah. in the digital age, it's no longer the case. You know, we can do all three. So, candidly, we need to have this advanced awareness to the capabilities and capacities out there. Why? Because a lot of the software that we see today, these algorithms, you know, they depreciate like a head of lettuce. Mm -hmm. And we've got to have our finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. uh, which is an uh, interesting analogy there. <laughs> <laughs> Think about, you know, we need one of those plastic bags to keep it fresh for a little while longer. Um, uh, Anthony, let me throw it over to you. Uh, you. You have a perspective there where you're, you're seeing a lot of this stuff in the public sector, the private sector. I know there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Petri dish. Um, as far as major challenges, barriers, you know, if you could sort of just uncork and wave a wand in, in regards to the public sector, right, the federal government and their use of this technology and this ability, what would it be? You know, what, what do we need to turn the spigot on? Well, I, you know, I, I think it comes, we've said it, leadership, culture, and people matter. Uh, Bob Work said it at, at an FCA event recently that he thought we would be further along. And then in the time that I have spent in this marketplace, you know, so not only is the federal government the most complex business in the world, right, um, there's, there's all kinds of challenges that exist in the federal government for which they rely on the industrial base to help them move faster. And so what, what, I have, what I've observed is we in industry have to play a role in, in ourselves moving faster and expressing how speed can be implemented by the federal government. We can't just say the government, it's, it's no longer, it's a cop out and it's a cheap shot to say the government's not moving fast enough. Because what I, my observation is that industry partners are not moving fast enough to help inspire and enable the AI journey that needs to occur. Use up that industry yeah. and private sector and public sector exactly. partnership. Well, this has been a fantastic and fascinating uh, subject, and I'd like to thank the, today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedule to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of the show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. 